I think we sometimes forget that shared living has such a powerful part of the interconnected kind of friendship network that you build as a person, as a human, through the early parts of your life that will then see you through the latter parts of your life. I'm back, baby. Yes, I'm back. It's a whole new conversation. Co-living, co-work, co-life creation. This is it's Coffee Talk with your boy. This is a new platform. We're going to have fun with this. Let me be honest. And you know I'm going to be every time. That was good. You can keep that one. Award-winning property developer, entrepreneur, and public speaker, Stuart Scott, is from Brighton, England, United Kingdom. And before entering the real estate sector, he was operating a marketing agency and product design company. So he's a real brand man. Stuart's co-living spaces company is reimagining shared living for working professionals. His design for social spaces encourages collaboration, inspires creativity, and building social communities, which is just what we want in the co-living industry. Recently awarded the 2019 Property Developer of the Year at the National LIS Property Awards, Co-Living Spaces offers co-living investment and training. And Stuart, you've been in the game as a developer and have some very exciting spaces. Why the co-living industry for you? What was your interest in redirecting your career and portfolio from such a different sector than the ad world? Well, while I was working in the ad world, I, uh, you know, in the marketing space, I, and, and, you know, they were my own companies that I was, I was building. So over, over that period, I was, I, you know, I was building two companies. I was, I was flipping properties on the side. So I guess trading, like buying properties, adding, refurbishing, adding value, um, creating maximum values from there and then selling for profit. And so, you know, my background in, in property was very much, adding value and um, say flipping or trading property. And, you know, that gave me my kind of like uh, the bug, if you like, for, for, for renovating and, and serial renovating. You know, me and my wife, we serial renovated our way up the property ladder as well. And then when I was building my companies, uh, my employees would continually complain about the uh, lack of good accommodation in Brighton and Hove and the area that uh, my business operated in. So that kind of stuck with me. And, you know, uh, eventually when I had an opportunity, I went to sell my business, um, or, you know, it was acquired, I sold that one. I saw an opportunity to move into there. I did my market research and realized that there was a market opportunity to provide a more customer-focused product, which in the, in the market that I was looking in was uh, shared living. Uh, one of the reasons I chose shared living um, was that as part of my move into property development, I needed high yielding, high cash flowing strategies uh, to, to do that. So not only did it provide the high yielding, high cash flowing um, returns that I needed, but it also solved a key problem. It solved the key problem of my ex-employees who struggled to find uh, good accommodation. So they, they helped me identify that gap in the market. Your mission to pioneer the next generation of modern co-living and to change a bad reputation for the HMO industry. Can we talk about the HMO industry? I'm here in North America. We're not familiar with the term. Can you tell us what HMO is? Well, HMO stands for House of Multiple Occupancy. So in the UK, um, we've had shared living for, for, for many, many years. Um, and it, it went under the definition of HMO, House of Multiple Occupancy. And, you know, you would need a license up to, say, six people in the house and you would need what's called a sewer generis uh, planning application for seven onwards. Now, this industry has been around for some time, but it's actually, 
it's not it's not had the best reputation uh, and in many cases um, HMOs tend to be student HMOs and the professional ones tend to be low quality it's been a neglected part of the industry and devoid of some good innovation for for a long time so the HMO industry uh, had you know in certainly in, in my area when I looked at what was available in the in the local you know space in Brighton and Hove it was shocking shocking um, you know uh, uh, quality of accommodation and uh, and high prices as well and so you know I saw that as a as a massive opportunity because I knew that that, that by taking the kind of uh, product design innovation principles that we take for granted in this uh, you know the, the marketing and creative world um, that I could apply that to create the best product on the market and and blend with that the best experience on the market and that that kind of insight timed itself perfectly with um, what was this emerging trend coming out of, of the US and in, in your space which was this term this, this kind of customer focused uh, terminology of co-living which of course wasn't being used in the UK and was starting to come across and then at that point I thought well actually I think I didn't like the terminology HMO because the customer doesn't search for it they don't even know what it is it's a legal term and so co-living represented this kind of new language but little did I know back then that it actually was going to start to become you know the evolution of the uh, kind of like the next generation of shared living in the UK. Then we start talking about housing as a service. How long do you think it'll take for that trend to catch on? And why do you think this is the direction we're going in for affordable housing? I think we'll see a, a um, divergence of um, uh, the service-based industry. So I've also got uh, a number of hotels in central Brighton. And With the short stay model, you know, where it's all service based. So this housing as a service, you know, this 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 kind of membership model where you can access facilities and services uh, very similar to a hotel. I think what's what's most interesting is a lot of the things that I put in place for the hotels are slowly transitioning into the co living, bit by bit. The same systems, the same processes, the same um, services that you know uh, that we provide. It, the blurring of the line between this service industry and the, and the long stay of co-living is slowly blurring. So I think um, it's interesting to see how that this term, you know, housing as a service, we are we're slowly morphing into it naturally anyway. When you start to see the service part come into play, a lot of co-living operators are focusing on amenities and designs and services. Um, but it's more than that for co-living and probably more than that for HMO models, and that is community building. Can you tell us about how your approach to your business and design work uh, supports the development of community? Okay, so the way, the way that we design and manage these spaces, is we break it into three key areas. So the first is space, space design. That's where we are using our innovation skills, product innovation um, to create the best immersive spaces uh, that are available on the market. Now, a space can be designed specifically for, um, uh, you know, uh, empowering more communication or, you know, ability for people to eat together or socialize together or chill out together or watch films together. 
So that's still just space design. And all, really, to all intents and purposes, that's just facilitating the community. So we one part of what we do, and a lot of the photo shoots that we we get, you know, of ours that get shared across the internet, are is the space design. So we've got the space design where we where we create these very community centric, um, uh, community focused, uh, thoughtfully designed spaces. The second part is community. Now this is where we are actively um, within the space using uh, our community managers to help facilitate and nurture that community. That's where we're actively working with them, whether that's through ongoing events that we're putting on, whether that is through pizza nights, whether that's through barbecues, whether that is through helping them with any additional services, whether that is through uh, you know vouchers and discounts from local fitness uh, various uh, initiatives, or of course, whether or not we're, we're facilitating the ability across all of our sites in our areas to be able to move between rooms and locations based on interest, uh, facilities, services, and everything else. So for example, um, you've got someone who works one or two days a week from home. They've moved into uh, one of the sites as part of um, their membership. Um, But actually, no, actually, because their working habits have changed, they would like access to some co-working. And so what they can do is very easily, the community manager can arrange very easily to just just move within our whole network of, of sub-communities. And so that's something that we've kind of built from the ground up so that we've got this kind of almost like this, uh, this web of um, sub-communities and they all connect together through shared interests and, uh, and, and facilities as well. So that's, that's the community side. And then the final part, so you've got the spaces, you've got the community, and the final part is experience and this is the key thing because you can create an amazing space you can build the uh, community but if the overall brand experience and all the touch points on that experience that you that you have as a customer if they are not all um uh, you know amazing (laughs) in the same way we would have from say going to an apple store or meeting an apple genius bar you know, if every one of those touch points is not amazing, then what's going to happen? That's going to affect their overall experience. Now, of course, if you get all three of those working really well, then you're going to build advocacy. And if you build advocacy, people are going to recommend their friends. And, um, you know, you, 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 you're going to have people stay longer. It's going to have uh, effects on your occupancy and your um, your kind of net return and everything else as well. So I see it as three key areas, space design, community building, overall brand experience on all parts of the touch point that's from when they first um, search through to when you onboard them through to when they're in the property through to afterwards and all technology and all touch points in between it's the customer journey isn't it Stuart? the full customer journey that's exactly right (laughs) you will remember from numerous occasions where you have um, interacted with a brand whether it's a product or a physical product um, and you know part of that journey is physical part of it's digital and you'll remember when things go wrong and they're not great and you get annoyed. And Oh, yeah. I can't remember when I've, you know, had a great landlord before. <laughs> They've had some okay ones, you know, some look out for you. And and what's interesting about us recording this, uh, the you know, three, four months deep in the coronavirus pandemic is how people and company, actually how companies respond to their customers. And that's a huge trust base 
factor. I know landlords, uh, even in co-living, are experiencing tenants moving in, paying rent, but because the tenants are protected by not being allowed to evict them mm. during this time, that's they're they're caught in a I'm gonna say a trap, but looking out for your tenants and the services you provide are so essential to that experience that you're talking about. So at the moment, in the last, I don't know, couple of months while we've been going through the uh, the main peak of the pandemic, I guess, we have done a few things. We worked on our systems and processes. We've kept in contact with them. Um, we, we had to do a lot of stuff from a from a, a policy, policy, health and safety policy perspective um, for the community. But, you know, one of the other things we've done is we've got certain properties where we kind of we knew people were going to spend more time at home, so we looked at some of the outdoor exterior spaces. I, we ordered more garden furniture, we ordered hammocks, we ordered uh, extra barbecues. You know, we've we kind of tried to kind of where possible see if there was anything else we could do. Um, only yesterday we had a one of the uh, one of our uh, you know community members is in a property where um, two people have just moved out. There's a, there's a few other people in that particular one, and we think that he's potentially just contracted uh, COVID. So mm. um, we've held all the viewings on that on that room. I mean, he would he was in an awful state. Um, he's stuck in there on his own uh, at the moment because the other tenants are staying with their parents. So what we've done is we've arranged for a, a food parcel to be delivered round to uh, to the property whatever it costs to do that as a gesture of goodwill for a good customer that has been with you for uh, many years is, is um, you know, it's just a nice, um, you know, simple thing that you can do on the customer journey. So you mentioned the customer that's been with you for a long time. What is the range of tenants that you've had? I know you have different styles and models of properties, uh, but what's, are we talking, is this a tenant in one of your co-living spaces? Um, well, we actually, the, I mean, the age group of, of people that, that, that we um, rent to is between 25 to probably 50. It's quite broad. At certain age groups, you're changing job more often. I mean, we do we do get um, a lot of people that will uh, be moving to Brighton and Hove. It's a really, you know, hit place against the, you know, it's by the beach. It's, you know, it's very, it's very, um, uh, you know, cosmopolitan city. So it attracts, you know, a lot of young people. And you know they some you know some a lot of people sometimes get jobs and they move to London. It's quite a common thing that happens. So, you know, older older demographic tends to stay there a bit longer. So it really depends on um, you know uh, yeah on, on on you know what they're doing professionally as well because obviously those job changes are happening. So yeah, we have we have people that stay you know uh, the minimum amount of time tends to be say six months, but we have many people that stay for several years. Um, I've got some people that have been with me for. Well, about five six years so so wow. it, it's um it really it really depends i mean when i say people that have been with me for five six years what i guess what i mean is they're a customer so you know we talked about that customer journey and customer experience you know i've got people who were in one location they've moved to another location they've changed city but still come with us as a brand so that means that customer life cycle is longer because they would they know that the co-living spaces uh, in that city they enjoyed so when they go to the next city, they contact us to say, have you got anything there? So, of course, the customer life cycle is actually the full customer life cycle of how long they work with you as a brand, regardless of what, what city that they, or what, what room or what building or what house or what city uh, you actually you know, provide the accommodation in. 
It's so interesting to listen to your experience and your career unfold and for you to make these pivots and shifts and to be taking a, an approach as a specialist in the industry now also as a speaker and educator in addition to being an investor and an operator. So how did you decide that while operating co-living spaces that you were also going to double as a consultant and a specialist? The speaking side of things was was something that I, I mean, when I was running my businesses, my, my you know, two marketing and product design businesses, you always had to pitch and speak to certain uh, events and, you know, as, as part of that, as a, you know, as the owner, the CEO, you have to pitch. That's what, you know, it's part of the job. You are the, you know, the, you are the per- main person who has to go out there and kind of win the business. So, you know, that was kind of part of it. But when I moved into the property side of things, um, when we started putting out the photo shoots, I started to get a lot of magazine exposure and I got asked to speak. And at that point, you know, my, all the experience in the world of pitching to boards of directors did kind of paled into insignificance when you're suddenly faced with 50 to 350 people <laughs> in a room. Um, so I actually, you know, I saw that as a, you know, it was, I, I was going to be networking anyway. And so um, I thought I'd, I'd tried it a few times and um, had really good feedback from it. Um, and so I kind of continued doing that. So, you know, I started probably public speaking from 2017, something like that, and then uh, continually been booked for, for, for doing that ever since. And, and that's primarily been on the subject of, of co-living. Um, I mean, the first two or three years in, in the UK, you know, I was you know, traveling around the UK, speaking around co-living, and it was a bit fringe. <laughs> and uh, I'm not quite sure it was taken that seriously. Uh, I think people were very inspired by it, but I don't think they quite thought that it was about to have the traction that it would. And um, I think that with a lot of magazine exposure, uh, you know, I'm speaking at some very big events up and down the country, uh, and then the awards and all the other stuff, I think that, that you know, it, it all helped contribute. And also the fact that we were just constantly innovating and pushing the bar and I think it just helped contribute to the fact that a lot of people were looking at it and thinking, actually, I don't want to do those dated HMOs. You know, I do care about what I'm doing. There's a lot, you know, the, the new breed of investor and developer, you know, they don't come from a traditional property background. It's, you know, similar to us. They can, may come from, um, from a professional background or a marketing background or creative background or, or any background. And, you know, what that will bring, it brings fresh thinking. You know, you're not you're not thinking in, in the way that the traditional old old school developers would be thinking. They want to do something they're proud of. They, in fact, they want to see if they can improve people's lives. I mean, yes, they want the financial reward, but they want to see if they can do something positive that improves people's lives and provides the financial security and freedom that they they want from it as well. I think that's when it's exciting times because each entrepreneur gets to bring their own twist to the table. And we talk about purpose built co living. And for me, maybe as a customer, is going to be different uh, terminology than you as a, a builder, an operator. But purpose for me as a customer is the intentions that the operator puts forward for maybe the culture or the lifestyle or whatever the mandate is for, I know, entrepreneurship or young professionals is a, a, a trending purpose for a community. How do you stick or define what a community may be or look like or offer and be able to commit to that promise as soon as you open your doors well it's evolved you know it's evolved uh, Kaylin, over, over over a long period i mean the definition of community in 2015 and 16 was very different to the definition of community now you know there's a lot of things i think along the way what i've noticed is there's key themes whether that's 
you know, multi-generational living, interconnected communities, bottom-up, you know, um, community building rather than top-down, you know, forcing people to go to large events and things. There's a lot of things that have been talked about at a lot of the thought leadership events over over the period. And I, what's been very useful about being on the kind of forefront of doing that is you kind of get a sense of, of what's important and, the, you know, the key areas that are that turn into becoming the trends that are more fringe and experimental early on. But, but you know, you have to kind of put your neck out and, and try some of these things. And I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of other people that are also pioneering this, this kind of this movement as well. So between us, we've, we've kind of, we've, we've been kind of explorers, early explorers, if you like, into this, into this kind of, this kind of new emerging market, if you like. And, you know, defining it, we have been defining it along the way. And, um, and so, you know, we're very cautious on, on, on how we and what we roll out uh, is because at the end of the day, you want to under, under promise and over deliver. What started as initially, like many people, a focus on the space, because that's the simplest area you can control. It's only when you start to kind of um, evolve out uh, as a business and you start to move into community management through operations, as soon as you start managing the operations and you start to kind of get that, um, uh, that part working, then you start to kind of look into the wider customer experience as well. So I think they are a natural evolution of each other and they're all done one step at a time. I realize that the most important part for a business operator and, and their partners or investors is the bottom line and getting bodies in those rooms or in those yeah. beds and getting to capacity, yeah. which is always kind of shifting because it's a month to month. But to create culture enough for people to stick around, like you said, you've had tenants and customers for five, six years, which is a good track record for you know, an operator or a landlord. What's more important? I mean, is the, these aren't generally long-term stays for pe- that people stick in uh, for years at a time. For co-living, you know, six, three months is a good, is a good start. Six months is a good, even better average. Yeah. Uh, and then that creates more culture the longer that your tenants have stuck around. So I understand that a lot of operators, and because they don't come from real estate, and maybe not even design. They're more interested in the model and the returns versus the purpose and the culture and the yeah. long-term understanding of community building. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I mean, the so the projects that we do in in the UK and the south coast of the UK, we have remained highly oversubscribed since we began, and we've got some of the highest valuations on the market. Sometimes, in many cases, exceeding our own GDP valuations, and to get that performance, to hit those targets, because most people, as you say, focus on that. How do you get those GDVs? How do you break the rental ceilings? How do you get the highest rents in the market? How do you get oversubscribed? I don't, you know. And then I try and kind of flip it around the other way and say, well, we didn't get all of that by focusing on that. We got all of that by focusing on creating the best product on the market and creating the best customer experience on the market. All of that all of that financial high performance, all that outperforming of the market was as a net effect of creating something that helped improve people's lives. It was a side effect of creating it. It wasn't, it wasn't what we aimed for, if that makes sense. So I'll give you another example. When, when we were building our first marketing agency, we picked and chose the clients we wanted to work for because we only worked on highly creative projects. So these were projects where we knew we could do something innovative. We could try some, either whether it was technology or marketing, things that hadn't been done before. So 
And then we, we, we turned down the things which we didn't think we'd enjoy. And it kind of, and so we focused, we knew every project was, was, was a portfolio piece. And so we treated everything as if we would just do the most amazing work that we could. And so by doing that, it just, it was snowballed into getting more creative work because, you know, it, it was, it, we just focused on creating something amazing and the side effect of the success and the income and every, and, and, you know, the financial reward is, is, is created out the back of focusing on creating something amazing. And so with co-living, it's been very much exactly the same thing. You know, when people ask us, well, how do you, you know, how, how come you've got a you know, queue of people that are queuing up for each one of your projects? And then when you do launch, you've got no rooms available. And in fact, you're, you're just taking a waiting list for the next one. I was like, well, again, it goes back to the same thing. It's not rocket science. We have focused on understanding all three areas space community and experience and by focusing on doing those we get all of the uh positive effects of doing that which which translate into highest rents on the market or you know we although we don't push we don't push it too high we get higher rents than higher than average rents we you know we, we exceed our valuations and we remain highly oversubscribed on the market and we continually and have done from day one stay light years ahead of the competitors well, I'm excited to hear you talk about this. You know, if you've seen inside Stewart Spaces in Eastbourne, Brighton and Hove, you'll see that this spaces resemble that of almost an ad agency or a private club. Very inspired designs from rustic wood to splashes of orange and cool art curated interior designs and lighting. Do you want to speak on, before you enter the space, any of your competitors that stand out, other co-living brands that uh, yeah, really stand out to you, Stuart? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a number of people that I know that kind of operate in this space. I think um, I think uh, probably the one I would mention would be a good friend of mine, uh, Luke Luke Spikes. Um, we kind of both entered the space at a similar time, and he was operating in Wales and um, yes, yeah, Wales and Bristol. I'm operating down in Brighton. Uh, we know each other. We you know we we've we've um, we've won awards at the same awards uh, events. We've spoken at the same. In fact, we shared the stage a few times. Um, so. You know he he's done some amazing things up in up in Wales. So yeah, I would you know Luke Luke is um, you know has a similar uh, kind of mission and a, a focus for customer you know uh, customer lifestyle uh, design and product design in the same way that we do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say Luke is uh, you know another kind of similar operator with similar values. But uh, so I, which company is his? Oh, Higgy House. Higgy Higgy. Okay. Really, yeah. we'll look them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any other players uh, globally that uh, really stood out to you in this process? The big one that you 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 you'll be aware of would be the Collective uh, Reza, who developed the Collective, which was one of the largest in the world, which is in London, and I think he's now operating quite heavily over your way. Um, so the Collective has, has been one of them. You've got like the WeWorks, We Lives, you've got the Rome. Um, so you've got some kind of like big. Uh, and Moda, Moda Living is another one. And what's really interesting is you've got a lot of the build to rent players as well that are blending the mixture of self-contained units but with shared facilities. I was speaking to someone the other day that was saying they assumed that co-living is just sharing a kitchen and um, uh, and having your you know your own space and maybe a private bathroom. And I was making the point that well, co-living isn't ju- isn't necessarily exclusive to just uh, just that model. Because in some build-to-rent developments, uh, there is there is very little of that. And in fact, more of it is in studios and one-beds, of which there is a general overarching community that sits across all of those units. 
So I think that, you know, in future, we, you know, we, we effectively are going to see a hybrid or a, or a mixing of those two. And some will be communities together, sharing their kitchens and everything else. But equally, within that overall co-living village, if you like, will be self-contained units as well, should people settle down um, with a partner. They want their own space, but they still want to be part of that interconnected community. I love that. And I love to see the range of options that continue to roll out for different demographics. I know that, you know, student housing and targeting co-living for millennials was kind of where things started here. But as different entrepreneurs with different backgrounds continue to enter the marketplace, why is there such a huge interest in this industry becoming in its own asset class? It's just moved from an early adoption phase into an early majority phase. I think we're we're moving further up the curve of maturity of the market. And just as just with the student market, as you saw the purpose-built blocks, institutional investors start to get more heavily involved. So I think we're just kind of at an early point of that curve as we're starting to see it ramp up. So I, you know, I don't doubt that there's a there's a huge growth ability within the UK for for co-living and, and the potential to move into its asset class. Uh, at the moment, the uh, legislation and planning is still centered around uh, in many cases certainly for shared you know where people are sharing kitchens and everything else there is this kind of more antiquated uh, hmo planning class which at the moment is what defines shared living uh, in the future that may potentially change but you know nothing nothing <laughs> i can't imagine the planning the planning is going to change anytime quickly so um, it would probably be more of a, a, a kind of like a further term change so I can't say we're coming out of the pandemic at this point, but I am interested in wh- where you are spending your time and energy with your business. The the, the lockdown, I've actually quite quite enjoyed being in lockdown. I've, um, you know, I've, I used to travel around all over the place. I'd be in the car, I'd be really busy. I mean, I, I've always worked um, since I left my uh, previous business and I set up the co-living business. I've, my entire business is all... Um, remote so I have home office I've got people that work via zoom and video uh, project management software of Asana with zoom video conferencing I didn't want to have the traditional setup I had before with loads of employees and a big office and all the cast and all the overheads and then you have to get more business in to get more overheads so I wanted a really lean agile model and, and you know my thinking at the time was that the way people are working is changing and it's just reinforced the fact that, you know, we don't need to go into an office to work. I mean, I know certain people do like the social aspect of being in, in an office, but I think this has been a real eye opener for a lot of people about how we use technology to empower the use of our time. I mean, think about the amount of people that commute and spend a lot of time traveling between long distances. You know, this is this has been a, a real eye opener on, on that, that respect. I think I'll, I'll, I'll be using my time more wisely. There certainly has been challenges, you know, obviously having my daughter who's only four years old uh, at home during the period because she, she, you know, I've been on quite a few Zoom calls or interviews where she's photobombed several times. And, um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's quite cute and it's quite fun. And, yeah. you know, and, and I know it's something a bit, dis- you know, it's, it, 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 you can disturb the flow of your working, but do you know what? In right. the team of things, it's a beautiful thing if you yeah. your daughter stops what you're doing and before you know it, you're, you're playing with uh, Peppa Pig or, or some random toy i have actually quite enjoyed you know having that extra time around uh, family it's the little things isn't it Stuart? yeah this is not you know it's not it's not all just about work there's i think there's a lot of positives about 
spending more time with your family and just reassessing how you're spending your time. Um, I mean, a lot of this, um, uh, certainly with the pandemic side, uh, you know, fortunately, we've been rolling out a lot of co-working into our uh, co-living projects. So, where I mean, that was an experiment that we ran several years ago, and um, obviously, very fortunate we did that because, of course, when we started to move into the pandemic period, it means that all of our buildings that have breakout spaces, co-working rooms, cinema rooms, all these little work pods, you know, they've been an absolute you know lifesaver for for some elements of the community that have got access to them because. Um, suddenly all the, everyone's working habits is now working from home and they want breakout spaces and they want little private spaces and co-working spaces. And so although they were experimental several years ago, they've now come into their own. Um, and then kind of going back to your question, how I'm spending my time. Well, uh, what, you know, my focus for the last kind of six, seven years has always been about just doing our own projects. And this year in 2020, it's been the year where we've, we've flipped it the other way around. Now we're going to be helping other people. So for a long time, people have asked us to kind of like mentor them, provide mentoring or masterminding or, or um, online or, or training on co-living, you know, specialist training around how to create the best space on the market, how to create a community and build a community and how to create an end-to-end customer experience that, that, that outperforms and, you know, gives you those, that success and those results. And so that's something new that we're, we're rolling out this year. And as you're probably aware, you know, you know, organizing that and putting that all in place and getting the marketing in place and, you know, putting, the, putting everything around that that facilitates being able to roll that out has been a lot of work. But, you know, this year is very much about, you know, it's no longer just about my own portfolio anymore. It's about helping other people um, transition into co-living, giving them some guidance, helping them to uh, kind of achieve what their dreams are rather than, you know, just, just my own stuff anymore. Well, I think it's exciting times for a shift in the model of housing and living for anybody who's relocating or looking for a different lifestyle change or traveling for, for work or uh, studying. There's a plethora of, of customers that are, you know, looking for options and myself included being a self-employed digital nomad, mm. then taking a passion for community. A lot of people, it's the first time you're going to live in a shared space like this, maybe since you may have been in university. But I love the idea of targeting different demographics yeah. that are not just the younger millennial crowd. For families, the co-living is a concept or you know all ages communities. So yeah, I mean, these we, types of... We do mix community. We do mix ages, actually. Okay, uh, and we, we do have people that have, um, we've got mixes of, 30 to 50 in, in single communities. And the feedback we've had is very good. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. that, that's, and I think it's so important uh, for the growth of the industry as well. And to see people happy, you know, from different yeah. backgrounds, to come together and not expect with, you know, what the outcome of this experience is. Most people think it's affordable housing, which it is a solution. And then the health benefits, especially during uh, isolation and lockdown, to have yeah. this kind of support system and work yeah. through our personal and professional development resources. So, yeah, I mean, this that gets missed sometimes. I'm glad you raised that because that sometimes gets missed. People would actually think, "Oh, you don't want to be in a you don't want to be in a community during lockdown." But actually, once everyone's isolated and you know that everyone is you know safe and they're in the house, then actually that community becomes almost your you know your family within within that you know that you know within your space and you kind of come your people to help you and rely on you and ultimately you know what drives uh, co-living is 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 the 
audience, whether that's going from millennials to generation, you know, generation Z and Y and everything else, it, it, it's driven by this kind of want for a social lifestyle. That, that they, people want that community element. They want that supportive community element around them. I mean, interestingly, I I grew up in um, central Brighton. And when I grew up, I, I lived in HMOs, shared living. <clears throat> and I'm still friends with many of the uh, my old kind of housemates. And, you know, they, they're still part of my social circle. They're lifetime friends. So you imagine, you know, you go through life and, you know, you, you, know, you naturally kind of, you either build colleagues or friends, you know, you know, that friendship network or bond that you have is something that stays with you for life. So I think we sometimes forget that shared living has such a powerful part of the interconnected kind of friendship network that you build as a person, as a human through the early parts of your life that will then see you through the latter parts of your life. Imagine you move to a new city, you don't know anyone. I mean, if you you know i mean that was one of the reasons we get older older people tend to kind of apply to be members as well because they may have been recently divorced they may have moved out from somewhere they may have been moved new to the area young people are new to the area or they've moved in so again if they don't have that social circle you know um the number the number of times we would speak to people who've moved out of either a one bed or a one bed flat or a studio <clears throat> because they're lonely and they're not going to meet anyone other than people at their work and so Having having that social circle around you is just it's just it widens your social circle. It widens that you know the social aspect of your life, and um, I think that's an important part, certainly in the um, uh, in the kind of like uh, you know the, certainly the early years and and even into the later years as well. So I think there's a there's a lot of positives that can come from it if you design, facilitate, and manage those spaces well. I'll squeeze in this last question only because we have been in isolation here, and it's got me thinking about the benefits of living in more rural areas, which, you know, a little more safer and cleaner than the highly congested areas of urban sitting, uh, which I've been a city guy my whole life, but I've had the opportunity to come and live in nature uh, during this time, uh, just out of an opportunity. But do you see more interest in building communities outside the city post-pandemic? Well, if you ask my wife, she'd probably move to the country in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's a different. I think she just wants a big garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the underlying thing with co-living at the moment is that you know it is it is an investment model. Um, we need to recognise that you know at the moment it, you know, there is an investment element to to, to 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 make everything stack up, and you know as part of the due diligence and the, uh, the you know what is required to to kind of get those projects over the line and finance them and everything else you need the certainty of the uh, the market and so of course you know we, we never we always build co-living projects in central locations they're well connected and they need public transport um, so at the moment all of our projects I would say are all very central they may not be in cities they may be in towns as well but they are very much in um, urban areas um, as opposed to, let's say, more rural areas. I think what we might see is uh, these rural, these slightly more rural locations may attract a slightly different demographic um, of, uh, of people that may be able to travel uh, certain, you know, uh, certain things. So it might be that what you see is actually what you know these these co-living communities if they if they're in slightly more rural areas the uh, the demographic of, of, of who potentially lives there may be more targeted and more specialist 
That's not something we do at the moment, just because we we like to make sure that the or the feedback that we have at the moment from our customers is this is location location. They want to be central. They want to be near where they work. I mean, what I guess the biggest thing that may affect all of this, Caitlin, um, is that the way we work may change. <laughs> now, of course, if the way we work changes and you no longer need to be in the city, then that may have more far-reaching kind of effect. Mm-hmm. We'll see. It'll take some time for cultural shifts. We're in the middle of so many right now in early summer, June 2020 here. You know, if you're looking to build the co-living space as an operator or you're an investor looking for better returns, I recommend looking up Stuart Scott and his team at co-livingspaces.co.uk. Stuart, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and insight and experience here in the industry. I'm excited about what you guys are doing, and uh, I can't wait to connect with you on your side of the pond. Brilliant. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Ken. I'm back, baby. Yes, I'm back. It's a whole new conversation. Co-living, co-work, co-life creation. This is Coffee Talk with your boy. This is a new platform. We're going to have fun with this. Let me be honest. And you know I'm going to be every time. That was good. You can keep that one.